Well, good morning. Wow. God, don't you have anything else to do? <laughs> Beautiful day like today, and here you are. Man, what a weekend. I hope you're having a great weekend. I was out golf nine holes this morning up at Bridger Creek, and uh, hey, I had a pretty good uh, nine holes. I was one over, you know. Now, by the way, i let you know about my scoring. Uh, I score on the basis of how many balls I lose compared to how many balls I find. So I lost two, I found one, I'm one over. So those of you who deal with stress, you'd find this scoring far easier to work with than the typical scoring. But uh, anyway, great to see you. So i tell you what we're going to work on today. We're going to work on your dreams and aspirations. I believe that there isn't a person in here that doesn't aspire to something that is noble, righteous, something that would not only fill a need in your life, but actually fill a need in someone else's life, and that there's always an inner urge to rise to another level. Not everybody believes that. Some people believe that most of us are just trying to get by on the least amount of effort possible. In fact, uh, there's a little movie called Office Space, and uh, Peter has to meet with the uh, efficiency experts. Let's have a look at that. You know, you're supposed to be having your interview right now with the consultants. Oh? The consultants? What has gotten into you? Oh, yeah. Right. Wait, Peter, Peter. You gotta postpone it, man. Tell me you've been sick. Make something up. Oh, no way. No, I feel great. It's the best day of my life. Looks better. Looks like a Peter Gibbons. Uh -huh. Oh, there you are. We were just talking about you. You must be Peter Gibbons. Uh-huh. Terrific. I'm Bob Slidell. This is my associate, Bob Porter. Oh, hi, Bob. Bob? Pretty much go ahead and grab a seat and join us for a minute or two. You see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're just... We're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So, if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh... I use the side door, that way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> and uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell him but, space out? Yeah, I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. Uh, Peter, would you? Be a good sport and indulge us and just tell us a little more. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something about TPS reports. TPS. Uh, the thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. Don't, don't care? And here's something else, Bob. I have eight different bosses right now. Uh, beg your pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation, is not to be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob, that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Would you bear with me for just a second, please? Okay. 
what if, and believe me, this is so <laughs> hypothetical. But what if you were offered some kind of a stock option equity sharing program? Would that do anything for you? I don't know, I guess. Listen, I'm gonna go. Uh, it's been really nice talking to both of you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the pleasure's all on this side yes. of the table, trust me. Good luck with your layoffs, all right? I hope your firings go really well. Okay. Excellent. Great. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but you know, I don't actually think that's how most people are. I think most of us want to have impact. We want to be doing something that has meaning and gives meaning. Uh, I was uh, in Minnesota about a week ago speaking at a conference, and every morning I had a, a group of uh, high school students, and I said, you know, rather than me come in with some stuff, that maybe you don't even care about, how about let's do this. If you actually thought God was in the room, and you thought if you asked him a question, he would actually answer you, what would you ask him? I said, why don't we take a few minutes, and you write that down on a piece of paper, and I'm going to gather them together, and every day I'm going to go back to my room, and I'm just going to pull three out at random, and that night I'm going to build a Bible study based on those three what I think God would say to your question if he was in the room. And, uh, you know, I said, by the way, I'm just going to work with whatever you write unless it's really quite a ways out there. Well, the first one I pulled out, I had to disqualify it. It says, who really assassinated JFK? I said, all right, I were probably not a serious question. But a lot of them were. Um... Like, why do you let good people die when they are needed by their family? Like, why did you take my dad? Why would you die for a sinner like me? Will I ever be truly happy and stop hurting? Who are my birth parents? But I was surprised by the number of questions that had to do with life purpose. How do I tell what you want me to do for a vocation. What do you want me to do with my life? How do you know if you are doing the thing God wants you to do for the future? Why did you choose us to be on earth in the first place? What are my strengths and how would I use them to serve you? How do I live in the future? What should I be doing right now? See, I actually think we carry a desire to be on track to be making uh, progress. We want there to be movement in our life. We only end up with the working 15 minutes a week when we keep running into dead ends and we think, well, I guess survival is going to have to be my only goal. So if we aspire, if we dream, if someone here in Journey says, I I've been watching you and I see something in you that I think has great potential, would you help out in this? We got, we got a problem. The problem is that every time I let my aspirations begin to surface, the Bible says you and I have an enemy. The enemy is Satan, and God says he is the accuser of the brethren. That means every time something starts to surface that is righteous, 
that is noble, that will help someone, Satan sits on your shoulder and tells you why you are disqualified. Why you aren't good enough. Why your skills aren't adequate. Why you should just shelve that away for a later time in your life. Now that happened to someone. And that's who we're going to look at this morning. Moses had been found in the river in a basket by the royalty of Pharaoh's court. He had been taken into Pharaoh's court in Egypt. He had been trained and taught and raised there. But he was an Israelite. And the Israelites were under the bondage of the Egyptians. And one day he saw a guard abuse an Israelite worker. And he was so angry that he took after the guard. And the Bible says he killed him. And when he did this, even though he had connections, Scripture says he he went on the run. And he headed out into the desert. And there he was for 40 years. And then God came to him and said, Moses, you're the man. Your children and my children who are in bondage in Egypt, I don't want that to go on anymore. I want to bring them out of that bondage into freedom, into their own land, and I want you to lead them. Now, in response to this invitation, Moses had five reasons why he was a poor choice. All five of these reasons easily can be the accuser of the brethren sitting on our shoulder reminding us why we shouldn't be the one to aspire to this. And so we're going to have a look at them. They, uh, they center around this big idea. The basis for effective leadership is where you are headed, not where you are or where you've been. A history with fear and failure in it need never derail a dream or diminish usefulness. All right, so let's dive in. So here's God. He's talking to Moses. And uh, Moses throws up five reasons or five barriers why he's he's not the one to provide the leadership. Barrier number one, personal inadequacy. Here's what Moses said. Exodus 3.11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And here's a little principle for us. The need for improvement is seldom a barrier for usefulness. The need for improvement is seldom a barrier for usefulness. Gideon was tentative and afraid to act. Peter didn't have, well, he had almost no self-understanding at all. Abraham, that we call the father of faith, in a tight situation, lied because he was afraid. The need for improvement is not a barrier to usefulness. In fact, as a general rule, you build on your strengths and you buttress your weaknesses. You don't ignore your weaknesses. You don't deny your weaknesses. But you don't camp around your weaknesses. You don't spend all your life trying to teach a squirrel how to fly. Squirrels aren't made to fly. So you find out what your strengths are, you camp there, you work on them, you develop them, and then you get other people that buttress your weaknesses. So your weaknesses don't sabotage your strengths. Like, we we have in our mind that people who are really effective 
are really effective and have been successful because they have no flaws. The reality is that great leaders almost always have significant flaws. I mean, just look at the journey staff. I mean, you lead Pastor Brian. I'm in the office most days around him. Would you like to know one of his flaws? Oh, come on. <laughs> sure. You know, you know what one of his flaws is? Like, if you sally into his office with some great idea, he can't say no. Like, if we all lined up over the next six months with an idea, he'd keep rolling out yeses. They'd just roll out of that office. We'd all be scurrying around trying to think of how we're going to make this fit. Because he just is optimistic and he believes in people and he thinks if you got a great idea, God put it in you, he's birthing it, and let's go. But you know, a plane can only handle so much luggage or it can't get off the ground. <laughs> and, and some of us come along and we take some of the luggage out. We say, this is a great idea, but we got to do this six months down the road. We, we can't do it now. We're overloaded. And then there's John Oakland. John Oakland has obsessive, compulsive behavior patterns. Some people call it fly fishing. Do you know that his vehicle right now is out behind this building with a float boat on it? You think he's listening to this? <laughs> he's, he's gone. He's gone. That's right. The strength finders test, I'm like off the chart in analytic. You know what that means? That means I don't ever think you've got enough data. So it's, well, let's get going. Yeah, let's just study that one more time. Let's just create one more page of data. So you know what I have to do? I have to find clerics who tend to just ignore data altogether. I find cleric, people with cleric temperaments, and I hang around them because they're action-oriented, and they help me act. The fact that you have personal inadequacies is just Satan whispering in your ear. It has nothing to do with the biblical model of having significance, meaning, impact, or influence. Let's look at another one. So God didn't go for that, and so Moses came up with a second barrier to why he should not be the leader. Spiritual immaturity. Exodus 3.13, but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? They reword it. He says, I don't actually know how to traffic in the spiritual world. They're going to ask me where my spiritual authority is and who is this God, and I'm not, I'm not going to have the answer. You might come in on a Sunday morning and think, yeah, I kind of like to come to Journey. I like the music. I like the atmosphere. But somebody comes up and says, hey, we got this thing going on. Would you like to be part of it? And immediately Satan reminds you of something you have done or said or thought, or believed, or a behavior pattern, and you just immediately think you're disqualified because you're not, you're not spiritually alert, spiritually mature enough. In fact, you got something else going for you. 
You know that the, more, the longer people are in church, the less chance there are they'll change? When you're new and fresh in something, you actually carry a humility that opens the door to God's activity. This is another thing. Like when God was talking to uh, Samuel, and Samuel was just a boy, and he started calling, calling Samuel. It was in the middle of the night. God's voice woke him up. So Samuel went into his dad, and he says, Hey, Dad, Eli. Eli was his father. Say, there's this voice, and Eli just says, Ah, it's nothing. Go back to bed. And he went back to bed and was woken up a second time. He went in to see his dad. Hey, Dad, I, I heard this voice. Eli says, nah, I'll go back to bed. It's nothing. Finally, a third time he wakes him up. And he goes in to see his dad. And now his father begins to realize something supernatural is going on. You know, God didn't say, well, Samuel, I was going to do something with you. But really, you don't even recognize my voice. How am I going to talk to you? How am I going to work through you? You don't seem to even understand who it is that's talking to you. Spiritual immaturity is not a foundation for thinking you and I are disqualified. In fact, spiritual desire, not spiritual adequacy, is the basis for spiritual authority. I've been reading this uh, neat little book uh, by Gordon Donaldson, Jr. on how leaders learn. Now, Gordon Donaldson Jr. runs a school or a training center that teaches high school and grade school principals how to lead. That, that's, that's, his, that's his core arena. And he's, he's written this little book on how leaders learn. He says, really, here's how leaders learn. He says, first, everybody has to have like a base of knowledge. You know, even if you're going to be a, a famous surgeon, you've got to study the books that teach you physiology. But once you get a base of knowledge... Leaders learn by a two-step process. One is they allow themselves to be put into situations that require an assessment of, of the situation and a decision or an action. That's step one. Step two, they step back and they reflect with a master or an expert or someone experienced in that arena. They reflect on how they acted and how they responded. He says, that's how leaners learn. So if I never allow myself into a situation that's going to stretch me, I'm actually putting a lid on my learning, growing capabilities. Barrier number three. So God persists, and... Moses throws up this barrier, the fear of failure. Exodus 4.1. Then Moses answered, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. You say, man, well, fine, if I go ahead and do it, but what if it doesn't work? Here's a little principle. Every plan has flaws. If you don't believe that, have children. Every plan has flaws. You ever read anything about the Battle of Normandy, the invasion of Normandy? They had all this, this massive plan. But really, catch this. If plans didn't have flaws, there would be no need for leaders anyway. 
There are need for leaders because plans have flaws. So they're invading Normandy. Well, first they can't get the weather right, and finally the weather starts to shift a little bit, and so the invasion starts. And if you read the story about Easy Company, who was one of the parachute uh, companies, they were dropping them all over Europe. I mean, they were miles off of their drop zones. Eisenhower didn't step forward and said, oh, that's it, that's it, this plan's not working, we're going to pull back, we're... Hey, they were in it, they were committed, not every part of the plan was working. So that's why we step it up, that's why we grow, that's why we learn, because every plan has flaws. Was Moses right? Sure he was right. But God wanted to cause him to press ahead anyway. Fear of failure. Number four, unfinished skill development. Exodus 4.10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And here's the principle for us. There's always something that needs improving. There's always something that needs improving. Moses said, how in the world am I going to lead a million people when I can't even get up in front of people and say anything? Well, there's always need for improving. The fact that I got something that needs to be worked on or improved is not a reason why God will not use me or that the aspirations and dreams I carry automatically can't come true. Unfinished skill development. Let's take Michelle. How many of you know Michelle? Michelle Oakland. Yeah, yeah, works with a lot of the ladies. So like, God did a great thing in her life. And, uh, but you know, Michelle has never she, never, she not only has not been a leader, she's never even worked in a group. Her business before doing this was she made jewelry. That's not like a, a multi-person operation. That was, her, that was her, her job, her income. She was a jewelry maker. And so God does this neat thing in her life, and she comes in, rolls in a journey, and starts pouring her life into other people's lives. And about a year ago, I'm chatting with her, and she's like overwhelmed. Just, just so many people, so many opportunities, so many needs. You know, I said, well, Michelle, for one thing, you're working alone. Get somebody to work alongside you and build a team and, you know what? She could have said, she could have said, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm not cut out for this. this I... And she could have just did this. Or even this. Just start backing away. You know what she did? Even though she had no background or experience, she stepped into it. And you know what? She's a natural at building teams. The next thing you know, I walk by her office and she's got Jamie in there. And then I walk by and she's got a whole group of women in there working on something. And she's just unfinished skill development. She could have easily said, man, I'm not cut out for this. She didn't. She let the skills develop, but she didn't wait for them to develop before she got into the pond and started moving forward. Walling talks about how you and I find the thing we were made for. So that all of us begin with a general kind of a calling. It's very vague. Uh, 
We move into phase two. We start to get involved in a ministry or activity. God puts a dream in our heart. We start doing something. It starts to refine a little bit. We start feeling, boy, I, you know, when I'm doing this, it just drags me down. I'm exhausted. But when I'm doing this, I'm just soaring. When I'm done, I got more energy than when I started. As we get through that phase, in that phase, people are often asking us, Phase three, we start proactively looking for opportunities that fit how we think God's made us. And that comes into phase four, where that's convergence. Who we are, what we are designed for starts to come together. And we began to understand, I love this phrase, catch this. We began to understand how God delivers ministry through us. And the way God fulfills your aspirations and dreams and your impact on others is uniquely yours. Finally, barrier number five. Comparative shortcomings. Moses in Exodus 4.13, after God's kind of shot down the first four, Moses said, well, okay, but Lord, please send someone else. You know, you know what Moses is saying here? There's got to be somebody better. And you know what the principle is? There is. There is always somebody better. We don't stop trying to fulfill the dreams and aspirations of our life because somebody has fulfilled them better. Wendy's didn't decide not to make hamburgers because McDonald's already was making a hamburger. There will be somebody better. But there may not be somebody better in the particular setting and context you have. For example, maybe there was somebody better as a leader. But nobody would have had the access out of the nation of Israel that Moses had into the courts of Pharaoh. He had access. Not only that, he had context. Nobody knew among the Israelites how the inner leadership of Egypt worked like Moses knew it. Not only that, the land that God was going to lead the Israelites through, it's a desert, a wilderness, a barren wasteland, and Moses had practiced survival skills in that wasteland for 40 years. I've always kind of tracked with the Chicago Bulls a little bit, partly because I grew up just outside of the town that Phil Jackson grew up out, out of in North Dakota. And for those, all those big championship years, Jackson was their coach. You may remember one year when they when they won the, the world championship, the, the NBA title, um, coming down to crunch game, final game, championship game, close game, everybody knew in that setting, one guy got the ball, Michael Jordan. And in that game, after a timeout, typical as everybody expected, Michael Jordan had the ball in his hands. But then amazingly, in the middle of that final play, he passed off 
to Steve Kerr. <laughs> Michael Jordan didn't get umpteen million dollars a year to pass off to Steve Kerr in the crunch. Or did he? Maybe he got umpteen million dollars a year to know what play was going to help them win. And on that game, with the defense converging on Jordan, somewhere around the top of the key, there was Steve Kerr. Not today a household name. Someone told me he works inside of the organization for the Phoenix Suns now. But Jordan, inexplicably as it was happening, passed to Kerr, who took the shot, scored, and won the game. Was Steve Kerr better than Michael Jordan? No. But on that play, at that time, in those circumstances, the possibility of Steve Kerr's shot going in was higher than the possibility of Michael Jordan's shot going in. There's always going to be somebody better than you at stuff. That has little to do with how the Lord can work with your dreams, your aspirations, your potential ministry in the kingdom of God. Because in a given setting, you'll have access and context and experience that will make your presence in that setting crucial to the success of an endeavor. Now it is not likely to me that there are not many of us. It is likely to me that there are many of us here who have before we got into the gate to race walked away because we heard these words from the accuser. You have personal inadequacies. You're not spiritually mature enough. You might fail. Your skill development needs to be, be more developed before you can try anything. There's somebody better. Those are not reasonable. Those are the voice of the accuser trying to keep you from fulfilling part of your God-given destiny. Because God aspires with you and for you. It is he that says, I know the plans I have for you. Not plans to harm you, but to bless you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Let's, uh, let's just set our stuff aside, shall we, as we finish up today. And Hey, thanks a lot for listening so attentively this morning. It's so great to see you. Hey, we could transact something with the Lord, shall we? Let's just put our stuff aside. Would you bow your heads with me for a few minutes? And could I ask you this question? Have you been living these last days and weeks and months with the voice of the accuser 
reminding you of why you're disqualified for something righteous, noble, significant, impacting, virtuous. Could you recognize this morning that that voice is not the voice of the Lord who, when he saw a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery, though he knew what she was doing was hurting her, did not speak to her with the voice of condemnation, but said to her directly, Neither do I condemn you. God is not an accuser. And maybe while we're here this morning, you'd like to invite the Lord through the ministry of His Holy Spirit and by the power of His grace to roll off of your shoulders this voice of the accuser and take the first step in living in the truth that God has a plan for you and it is not to harm you but to bless you, a plan to give you a future and a hope. You could pray like this, Lord, I'm tired of this voice. It is a weight I carry. I'm glad to hear this morning, it is not from you. I know I've fallen. I know I make mistakes. I know that I've sinned. But you've reminded me today that you dream with me. You aspire with me. You are devoted to me. Lord, begin to send me grace to brush the accusing voice from my shoulder. Lord, send me grace to begin to brush the accusing voice from my shoulder and live in the truth that you have started to birth in my heart this morning. In your own words, you can pray that right where you're seating. Take a minute and do that. our heads bowed. Nobody's going to embarrass you this morning. But if you're praying that prayer and you're transacting that with the God, with God, would you just affirm that, cement that this morning as we keep our heads bowed by just raising your hand and just saying, I- I'm praying that this morning. I'm asking the Lord to remove the spirit of condemnation. Yeah, here in the front middle in the back, all the way through, over here on my right, others way over on the left, yeah, over here on my right in the center, part way back in the center on my left, right, right ahead here in the center, way in the back. Just as we wait a moment, can I say to you all, and particularly those who have lifted your hands, this is a lifelong journey. Every time you aspire to something fresh, Satan will try to reestablish the spirit of accusation and condemnation. 
God invites you to develop the ongoing skill of brushing that voice away, replacing it with the truth of God's affirmation, and living in the hopefulness that Christ carries for you. Father, thank you for many all across the auditorium who have just lifted their hands and say, Lord, you've reminded me today you care for me, you love me, that you want me not to live under condemnation or the bondage of accusation. Thank you for sending us grace to begin that journey. Lord, let your truth anchor our souls and our spirit no matter what our life history has been in the reality that your plans for us are not to harm us but to bless us, to give us a future and a hope. In Jesus' name, amen.